0: Hello Outlouders, it's Holly here and I'm wishing you a very happy new year. I'm also here to tell you that we have a special treat for you this week. Last year, we had a live show in Sydney, the first ever Mamma Mia Out Loud live show. Mia, Jessie and I sat on a stage in full of a bunch of absolutely kick-ass women of all ages and persuasions and we just talked for a couple of hours and it was absolutely magical. But all of you guys couldn't be there in that theatre in Redfern in Sydney that night and so we have packaged the show up for you for a special bonus edition. Now, our producer Lise said that the whole two-hour show was really boring, like boring if you weren't there, like you had to be there. So she's picked out the best bits, which are about millennials, Botox, and all the bits we thought were a bit funny, and we've tightened it up into a little show that you can all enjoy. And for those of you who didn't make it to Sydney, this year, we are going on the road. Stay tuned for the dates in a city or a town near you and come along and see for yourself if Jessie is indeed going to wear the noisy necklace that keeps bumping into the mic during this record. You enjoy Mama Mia Out Loud live.
1: We were just backstage talking about what we were wearing and uh, tell everyone how you just I said, I have
0: come tonight as a mom on a night out because I'm wearing jeans and a nice top. <laughs> Jeans and a nice top, and a bit of a heel, but not too much of a heel. A that's, sensible heel, a very sensible heel. That's what mums on a night out wear, and I have nailed that look tonight. Nailed it. Mia, of course, is in
1: sparkles. I am. You've even got sparkles in your hair. I put sparkly eyeshadow in my hair,
0: and I'm feeling I a little bit hot under that this up. plastic jacket. So oh. I might have to lose it at some point. And Jessie is the only one of us who can wear a gorgeous short skirt and you look very
2: beautiful. Um, I wore be this dress because shout out to producer Lies was watching it for when it's on sale because I couldn't oh. afford it when it was full price. So she was like, that's what good producers do is they link you and they say, Jessie, buy this now. So I did. Yeah. So now that we've got all the fashion out of the
0: way, we can kick into the show. A big question. Has it never been easier to be a man? I'm going to tell you a story. There was a man who went viral on the internet last month for posting about how he really loved his wife, even though she wasn't a skinny supermodel. (laughs) Um, He's a a guy called Robbie Tripp, and he wrote a post about his wife, and he said, this gorgeous girl I married fills out every inch of her jeans, going out jeans, I imagine, (laughs) and is still the most beautiful one in the room. A real woman is not a porn star, or a bikini mannequin, or a movie character, she's real. She has stretch marks and cute dimples, and I love her anyway. Anyway, this man was worshipped like a god. Worship like yes. a god for that. Like, the bar but, is so low. Anyway, <laughs> in the same month, British politician Jeremy Corbyn was heaped with praise after he helped a woman carry her pram up a set of stairs at a railway station. Again, worshipped like a god. <laughs> and this led to a rash of opinion pieces saying, has it never been easier to be a guy? The expectations are so low that all you have to do is spend five minutes with your children, or maybe put a load of washing on, and suddenly you are I don't know, the best human in the world. Has it never been easier
2: to be a man? I think it's never been harder to be a man. Oh, I know. That is my opinion. I think at least now they have to put a load of washing on. Well, they don't have like. <laughs> no, they don't have to. But we have like the right to ask them, and they can refuse. Like there's a dialogue. That's we fought for the right the horses to ask. And the, you know, the yeah. Throwing in front of horses. That was about the washing. But there was a period where men had slaves, and that would have been pretty sweet. Like they had their lives set they didn't have to do anything they never had to cook or like clean or anything talk about that well, you
1: know i think what's interesting if any of you have read the wife drought annabelle crab's book which is so fantastic and she makes a really interesting point her, the, her book is about why women need wives and men need wives, mm-hmm. and she makes the point that the role of women in society what it what it means to be a woman and the different options that women have have changed drastically in the past generation right so You know, whereas my grandmother's generation, pretty much you stayed at home and that was it. Now, you can stay at home, you can work part time, you can start your own business, you can work full time, there's any number of different ways, you can be a single mother, you can be divorced, you can, you know, date someone younger than you, I don't know. But um, there's so many different things you can do as a woman. But what it means to be a man has not changed that much. Or it's um, not changing as quickly. But it really hasn't changed. Basically, any guy who's not the breadwinner or who doesn't bring home a decent amount of bread. And you've got experience mm-hmm, of this because that's your life. People still
0: people go? Oh, tell me about that. I mean, it's not. They the norm. do, and they also tell me all the time how very lucky I am. You're how so very—you are so lucky to have a man who'll drop his own children at daycare. I'm like, I know. Didn't I win the lottery? <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. No, that's it's, no. I think that's true. So I mean, I'm being flippant about that idea that the bar is set low, because I do think it's still very hard for a guy to go to his boss and say, I want to work part time, you know, I've had, I've had my kids and I want to change up the way I work, whereas for women we just expect that. But on the flip side of that, we all know that the statistics show that although women are still are very much more in the workforce than they ever have been, we still carry most of the load at home. Mm-hmm. So. In lots of ways, the guys, as I keep saying, they get so much credit for doing so little. And I think that this is especially true about parenthood because mothers can never do anything right. You know, like if you're a woman oh, yeah. and you're, you know, leaving work early to pick up your children, you're a terrible employee. Whereas if you're a man and you're doing it, you, you are a massive... You get like to people walk through, through one of those ways. Of <laughs> I mean, they're like, there's never been... So I think, although I know there are still lots of serious issues facing modern men, I think that... It is definitely not that difficult what? to a- get Slaughter says about that, you know, that thing of, oh,
1: isn't Brent amazing and aren't men amazing when they go to the athletics carnival and they get big cheers, whereas women get rolled eyes. And you're right about that. But Marie Slaughter, who wrote a, a great um, cover story for, I think, The Atlantic mm. about having it all, one of those stories, she basically said, as much as it pisses us off as women... We have to clap. We have to clap because then you raise the status among men of what it means to go and pick your kids up from school and what it means to be a more present parent. And then other men think, oh, maybe I'll do that because maybe I'll get some claps.
3: Mm. That's I her think, view. She I said ultimately it's
1: aggravating, but it will help us in the end.
2: Within that discussion, we're talking about a very specific kind of man. I would say in 2017, it's not particularly easy to be a gay man. I mm. would say that when we think about the white man, we imagine him to be a CEO, or a boss who's rich. And hes that's just not who the average white man necessarily is. And I think we paint them with a very broad brush and that that's not fair. Like I worked at a school in Western Sydney for a while, and I worked with a little boy um, named Jack, and he had learning difficulties. His um, father would beat his mother. His father was in jail. Um, they were of a very low socioeconomic status. Like Try and tell that young white boy that, men have it easy
1: but you will always find an exception that proves the rule
3: i mean you're not speaking for an entire
2: but i think as well that he might be the i don't know if he is the exception i think that there are more stories like that and when we look at men and mental health and the rates of suicide which are so much higher than women then men aren't happy so if it's so easy then why is it that men especially in australia are not happy
1: but to quote annabelle again you know two, an average of two women a week are dying from domestic violence mm. if two people a week were being eaten by sharks we would drain the ocean mm. um so i, I don't know I don't, i'm not saying men have it easy and I, I certainly agree with you i really push against that whole thing oh man babies and yeah. male tears i find that among some feminists who who say that kind of thing i find that revolting i'm the mother of a son As a you whole, and they can be just as vulnerable and have just as many issues and vulnerabilities. But they still, in our culture, have a head start. Are you tougher on your son than you are on your daughter?
0: I don't think I am. So tougher on your daughter than
1: your son. Yes, I I probably am.
0: And the thing is that I realise, which actually could prove Jesse's point. Damn it! (laughs) Is that (laughs) I? I'm always telling my daughter, like you know, you can do anything. You know, you can, and I'm always telling her what to think and how to be, and like, go girl, and don't let anyone tell you. And and I never tell my son ever any of that stuff. And he's just like over there thinking he's a T Rex, banging his head against the wall. I'm just like, yeah, you'll be fine. And, I probably, and he probably won't be fine, Jesse, you've really stressed
3: me out. <laughs> oh, no. Mother me out.
2: Do you know how problematic that is? Problematic, it's problematic. Do you have any idea how problematic that is?
0: Mia, you have a problematic dilemma for us
1: today. I do, um, my face is problematic. No, the pro- the, as women in our 40s hole. Um, oh no, she outed me as if the mum jeans hadn't already done Oh it. look, behind <laughs> us, you can see Jane Fonda. Now you might be across this story, but a couple of weeks ago, Jane Fonda was on the red carpet at the Emmys and then she was on uh, a new, Megyn Kelly's new talk show, and Megyn Kelly leaned in and said, you know, Jane Fonda, you've talked about, uh, you look amazing, and you're 77, and, um, I know. 77? She's
0: 77. not wearing mum <laughs> jeans, huh? Oh. She really isn't wearing mum jeans. She's, she's not, not, not even wearing, wearing jeans.
1: She, yeah, exactly. And she said, you know, um, you've been honest about the work that you've had, and, uh, I've read you say that that you're not proud of it, and I wanted to ask you why. Why is that? And Jane Fonda looked as startled as she could, given that
3: <laughs> <laughs> she always looks quite startled. And it's really
1: fraught talking about this because you don't want to sound like a bitch, right? But she does not look like she's 77. Like, are we meant to? Not, are we meant to not say anything about the fact that 77-year-old women, some of them, look like they're 32? Like. That's, you know, if someone sort of shaved their hair or bleached it blonde you would acknowledge that that, that that was not natural. But she was really pissed off that she was asked this question. And she basically said, I want to talk about my movie, I'm not interested in talking about plastic surgery, which is of course her right. And just because she's talked about it before doesn't mean she has to talk about it. And, and, and of course it's her right to say, these are my boundaries and I don't want to discuss it. But I'm finding that in my 40s, I'm having these conversations more with my friends. And I I wrote a post for Mamma Mia about this and talked about going out to dinner with a girlfriend a few weeks ago. And I sat down and I straight away said to her, have you had work? And she had, she would had some filler and whatever. And like, these are the conversations that we're having. And I went through a real phase of angst about should I have Botox or not? Because no judgment on anyone that's had it, I'm conflicted about it, I'm conflicted about what I say to my daughter, and then I went through this phase of asking every female celebrity that I interviewed, if you had work, if you had work, if you had It made Botox. you really popular, that phase. It did. <laughs> and the funniest one was Ita, and it was like these therapy sessions that I was having for myself, and, and um, you know I asked Liz Gilbert, who's the author of Eat, Love, Praying, she goes, yeah, I had Botox, but I had too much before I did a book tour, and it looked stupid, so I have it now, but I try not to have too much. And then I said to Ida, you know, I kind of want to have it, but what am I going to tell my daughter? And she just looked at me and just went, honestly, you women these days, you, just, you and your oversharing, why on earth would you have to tell your daughter anything? It's none of her business.
3: <laughs> I'm
1: like, Ida, I'm so conflicted. She's like,
0: just do what you want to do and shut up. <laughs> Imagine that. I know. So I would never, ever have asked my friend. Really? If she would have had it done like i would have been looking and i would have been trying to tell and i would have been (laughs) i would have been like looking back in my phone to see the pictures of the last time i saw her but i would have been unless it was like a sister friend you know i would have been
2: i could never have asked i could never have asked i think it is so problematic for you to ask that question why because her face isn't about you her face is her face and since when does her face belong to all of us and is it our right to know what went on behind it? And also the fact that she, you don't have to ask her if she got work done. You can see it. <laughs> we don't need any comment on it. So we know she got work done and to ask her why she got it done, we know the answer. And Do we? Yeah, we know the answer. She got it done so the she patriarchy. can still have a job.
3: Oh. But that's,
1: can we not, like, how can we not talk about that elephant in the room? That women, you know, people go, oh, it's a feminist choice and it's a choice. And it is, on an individual level, you do whatever you want to your face, right? But the fact that, firstly, Robert Redford, who was sitting next to her, wasn't asked about his work and he's had a lot oh, of work. Oh my so much work. The fact <laughs> that women have to have work to stay relevant and to stay looking what's considered beautiful.
2: Do we all just have to not mention that? No, I think we should discuss it, but I don't think directly asking the individual is fruitful, because there's a lot of reasons why why she's had work done as well. Like, a decision doesn't exist in a vacuum. It's not like she woke up and decided, like, (laughs) she's probably conflicted about why she did it. No wonder she doesn't really want to talk about it. But I think there's this idea that women's bodies are public property and Everything we do to our bodies is making a statement about all women everywhere. And that's just way too much pressure to put on But if a celebrity
1: turns up Mm -hmm. on a red carpet, Jessie, and she looks very different, or a lot younger than her actual biological age, as journalists and commentators and women, should we not comment on it? Or we should? Like, I'm genuinely conflicted. Because we say, oh, that's a nice dress. That's not a nice dress. I like her hair like that. I don't like her hair. Nice makeup. Do we mention the elephant in the room or not?
2: I don't know, I think the face is different. And I, mm. I don't know, I think, I think.
0: I, As I said, I'm, I'm be too shy to ask my friend directly. Because I worry I would Botox? offend her. I think about Botox every day. For like, <laughs> probably 15 minutes of each day is dedicated. You think do you think you'll do it? Um, I haven't had Botox, just a declaration. No, I haven't had I haven't Botox, Botox But I don't have any problem with it. But no. I think maybe Botox. you should have to declare it on a t-shirt a bit like this uh, feminist one. It it's would be Botox. really refi- refreshing if someone looked amazing and it said, Botox, fillers, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, on their T-shirt. <laughs> See, really, you know, the, but the reason I say that is because I think it's actually becoming, even though I feel uncomfortable asking, is, it's becoming a bit like, oh, nice dress. And yeah, I, I've always heard you say yeah. this, is that, you know, it's a female code, is that if I say, oh, I love your dress, you have to say, oh, yeah, I got it from Zara. It was only 40, like, not yeah. that I'm saying, I don't know where you got that dress from. <laughs> Could be Dior. I don't know. But, um, you know, really that's nice. like the code, because you're sharing. So if you I say think, to someone, you look amazing. Yeah, and they say, well, that's then their code. I went to so-and-so. Yes. Here's his card. He's on special. You can get him on Groupon. Off you go. <laughs> like...
3: That, which is what my helpful. friend did. She
0: said, "She
1: said, here's the number, here's the guy, I will go with you so that if you're photographed, like I get followed around, if you're photographed going into a cosmetic surgeon, I will say that you were
0: there for me. And I'm like, thanks for taking, taking one for the team. But, but I think that thing about the joke about having to declare it on a T-shirt is really about, I think that as you age, as, as a woman, like your face does become quite political to yourself almost yeah. because I still feel like I'm you, you know, but my face,
3: <laughs> where
0: am I going? My face tells a different right, story and you know. sometimes I get a bit shocked and yeah. then I'll see and then you <laughs> and I'll be like, gosh, wow. I don't think that anymore just a good night's sleep and some green smoothies and going to move the dial and so I think that maybe, I, <laughs> I think that it kind of matches your, Anyway, but I, think, I guess my point is, is, when in the culture every woman who's the same age as you looks remarkably smoother yes. and younger on the television it and feels unfair. it's actually quite helpful to
2: know. Yes. It's like they cheated in the Femininity Olympics and you feel <laughs> ripped off. No. And Mia, that's what you're cranky about. I think it is. Is you feel like she cheated.
1: I think in a way, uh, when Liz Gilbert said, um, she wrote this great Facebook Post saying about how it's bullshit when women go, I'm so sad, like it's so sad when you look at Jane Fonda, it's really sad. She goes, you're not sad, you're just being a bitch. Well, <laughs> and I was like, am I being a bitch? And then I realised I'm, I'm sad for myself and I'm
0: sad for all women, that that's what we all have to do.
3: Mm, or we think we, we, think we have we to do. do it.
0: So the question is, is it problematic to ask a woman if she's had work, I we think we to have to that. ask the audience Put your hand up if you think it is problematic to ask a woman if she's had work. Oh. So, oh, put
3: and your, put your hand, hand up if you, if you think it's not, not problematic.
0: Oh, I think it's not problematic. <laughs> oh, I think I want that one, I think. <laughs> I think, I think that it's now okay to turn to the woman next to you and say, oh. Have you had work? Why did you get you that? where did you get that? Oh, I like this. Okay. Everybody is asking, everybody! Okay.
2: I'm a man, and when I listen to podcasts, I listen to Mamma Mia out
0: loud. Six things that millennials are too anxious to do. It's a list of things. Now, I don't want to make this topic make it sound like I'm making light of anxiety, which I know is a very serious issue. This is just me taking the piss out of millennials, which is one of my favourite things to do. Um, An article in the UK's esteemed Telegraph newspaper recently, was about how millennials are too anxious to look at their bank statements. Um, Which, to be honest, I'm too anxious to look at my (laughs) bank statement. I'm nowhere near a millennial. But that's not all. And I wanted to ask Jesse, and also, I mean, I know there are millennials in the audience, if if indeed um, these things are true, or if they're just unhelpful stereotypes for old people to snigger about. Um, Picking up the phone to make a call.
2: Pick it. I was sitting at work the other day and the landline started ringing and I looked at it like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, why, I don't know what you're trying to do, but I was, I'm in the middle of something and I don't know what could possibly be on the other end. I just stared at it until I rang out and I was like, that was weird. <laughs> and then I'm just like, and the sales
0: going. team, some of whom are here, were probably like, oh my god, that was a million dollars.
2: I, phones, I don't get it. That, there's never a point when a phone call isn't interrupting you. You're always in the middle of something and it rings. Podcasts, I'm listening to something and it's like, so and is trying to call you. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to hang up immediately because I'll know I did, but I've got to wait for it to ring out. Like, I don't
1: think that's just a millennial thing. Like, you don't like I, the phone I don't you. like the phone to the point where if I ring anyone or if any of my friends ring me, I will answer. And the first thing I'll say is, what's wrong? Yeah. Because it's really serious. And isn't it? Have you noticed also that now before I ring someone, I'll text them and say, I'm going to ring you. <laughs> if I'm going to ring them. Because I yeah. just feel like a phone call just feels so intrusive. And we're the same. We're still one of those families that have a landline at home, which you've probably never had. Have we you?
2: Did, we did. You yeah. did have a landline. We did. But I hadn't seen one in a while. The only people that <laughs> use
1: our landline is my mother and my mother-in-law, and that's it. But the reason we keep it is that because otherwise my youngest son who doesn't have a phone, if he's at home or needs to contact us, he can't. Mm.
3: So maybe I
1: just need to buy him a phone and save on the landline costs, but he's only nine, so I don't think I will. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I find the phone very confrontational.
2: It's aggressive and obnoxious. We've just transferred. (laughs)
0: It's not the phone that's obnoxious, it is it's not, but we've just transferred up because you you know people love to moan about mothers are always on their phones they're always not looking at their children, they're on their phones. Mothers have always been on the phone, they just used to be on the phone, you know like going, "Get your own dinner, I'm talking to Debbie, like yeah like, do, your, <laughs> do your
1: kids nag you about getting off your phone?
0: Yes, and I also feel like now that my daughter's seven and she's always saying to me, when am I getting a phone? And I'm like, oh, not for a long time. But it's no surprise that she wants one because I'm constantly looking at my phone and she thinks it's the most fascinating thing that has and ever happened. what does happened. Dado say about that, though? Because you talked about this on This Glorious Mess. Yes. Dado, Dado says, don't let your kids tell you what to do. He's like, I really <laughs> like I'm the grown-up in the situation. I go, no, just because phones are fun doesn't mean you'll be getting one. No, but
1: also the idea of your kids making you feel guilty yeah, for looking exactly. at your phone. It's like he's saying, you're a grown-up.
0: You're allowed to decide what you do with your time.
1: You're that, allowed like, to your ignore them make make you sometimes. Yeah, so you totally
3: are.
0: Them. Here's another thing that millennials are too anxious to do. Ring a doorbell. What the? God.
2: <laughs> Doorbells are the most problematic thing in existence. <laughs> for the following reasons. Is it like Do other people agree with that? Like, is that true? They Doorbells. are. Really,
3: Really? Oh, my God. I, so, I, instead, you
2: text and go, yes, I'm, I'm outside. <laughs> what has happened to the world? As soon as phones were invented, I don't know why they didn't disconnect all the doorbells. <laughs> because what, at what point would I want to interrupt an entire family and be like, I'm here, <laughs> give me attention? Why would I want to do that? So, somebody comes and opens the door, And what? it's like a fuss and they've got to like get up from what they're doing <laughs> and I've got to stand there for a minute. Like how else are you gonna get into the house? You text them and you text them as you're getting out of the car so there's no wait time between so- <laughs> door entry. <and door. laughs> someone knocked on my door and I wasn't expecting someone, I think I'd have a panic attack and be like, I don't know what, like if this is World War III or... No, that's the thing millennials don't do is drop in. That's my mum in. used to do a drop-in, like I'm going to drop into so-and-so's house. That's something we would never do. No, I'm not a fan <laughs> of the drop-in. But do you think
1: that, like in the bigger picture, the thing with not phoning and not ringing doorbells, a lot of it is about we want to control every aspect of our interactions. So you don't want to ring the doorbell in case you have to interact with someone who's
2: not the person that you came to see. Yes, correct. Right? And that's either a family or a housemate. And I like to make myself like, just it's why I don't say hello and goodbye. Because I don't like (laughs) being like, I'm here. It's just, or a is bit it just because you're lazy and rude? So strange. I think it's because I'm rude. When I was I young
3: and
0: I was dating boys, I'd have to go to their house and knock on the door, and then their mum would come and you'd have to have a conversation oh with them no. yeah. about something. And same when you rang a boy or they rang
1: you, they would have to often speak to your parents yeah. if they got to the and phone be first. Like, Look at your face. No, I know
0: this is stressful. Imagine every
1: time you wanted to speak to your boyfriend, you had to speak to his parents. <laughs> first. Wouldn't that be a disaster?
0: Cooking. <laughs> Millennials are too anxious to cook. Look, I think many of us are too anxious to cook. The bar has been raised very high in cooking since MasterChef are too
2: anxious off. to cook. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, I, why would you cook? I don't yeah, I don't cook. No.
1: Fabric softener. Can I you, use can you that. Tell the, wait, can you tell the story before we get to fabric softener? Can you tell the story about your sister when she was sick and she tried to make a smoothie?
2: Yeah, she tried to make a <laughs> smoothie because she wanted to be healthy. And I think you're like when you're sick, it's too late. But she was like, I'm going to try and be healthy. So she bought all these ingredients and she Put them in the blender, but the blender didn't work because we'd never used it. And so it was broken. So she got out like what you use to mix a cake. What are they oh, called? Like a handheld beater. Yeah. And she put it in. She was like, rrr, rrr. <laughs> and then we got home and there was none. She's like, you want to order Thai? And I was like,
0: yeah. It's <laughs> the most fun. <laughs> Uh, fabric conditioner. Look, I don't really get fabric conditioner. But I don't know why this. it would make
2: you anxious. Is is fabric conditioner a fabric softener? Yeah, oh, it just smells good. I'm I've never that. understood what that, to do with
0: that or when to use
2: that. Matter.
0: I don't know where it goes. DIY. Now DIY makes many of us anxious, but apparently that now extends to like changing light bulbs. Oh, One no. in ten
1: millennials can't change a light bulb or have never changed a light bulb. You just have to move house if the lights go out. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. oh, no. Do you know what my kids said? They
1: were like oh, the, my light, my bedside light doesn't work. And then I'm like, okay. And then he goes, oh, mum, please don't throw it out. And I'm like, that's not what you do when a <laughs> light
2: doesn't work. You don't
1: throw it in the bin.
2: At my, at my last Sorry, house... got God help this next generation. Yeah, my light's blue, so I just kept buying lamps from Kmart. So <laughs> in my bathroom, I had like two lamps and I could never see myself when I was like doing my makeup and I come to work with like eyeliner on my lip and I'd be like, oh, I don't have any lights in my bathroom because I don't know how to change it. Yep. That was the most fun. Thanks for listening to
0: the best bits of our first ever live show. As I said, we're going to be hitting some new venues this year, so keep your ears peeled. And the producer of Mamma Mia Out Loud is the marvellous Eliza Ratless. Now, I'm sorry to do this to you, just as I was sorry to do it to our live audience, but I'm going to leave you with Mia Friedman singing.
1: Mia, take it away. You ready? This song's called Bite Me Lee Sales. (laughs) <laughs> this is just spontaneous, this dance <laughs> Welcome to our first live show we really like to know If anyone needs to go to the loo Well, it's almost time Now I'll introduce to you Holly and Jessie too. We are the Out Loud Crew. Feminism, it's what we do.